You're listening to an Axe Church sermon. Axe Church Northwest is located in Vancouver, Washington, and we have services meeting each week at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. You can also join us online live at our 11 a.m. service each Sunday. If you'd like to know more about Axe Church Northwest, you can go to axechurchnw.org. Now enjoy the sermon. All right. Good morning. It's good to see you guys. It's been a couple weeks, took a couple weeks to rest, and uh, I can tell you that I missed you. I don't know if you missed me, but, you know. Please, 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 please. No, I mean, please, please, no. No, it's, it, I, I, I love you guys. It is a, there's a lot of haze in here. Let's, whoo. <clears throat> Holy Spirit. Uh, <sighs> I love you guys, and it is good to be back with you. I'm glad I got to rest. And uh, Pastor Dave and Pastor Daniel both did a great job. You can give them a hand for, the, for filling in and doing some teaching. Let's pray before we get started. Father, thank you that we're yours, that you're ours, and that we can be in you today, that we can worship you. Lord, that no matter where we come from, no matter what our story is, that you're here for us. Lord, that you will accept us and forgive us if we come to you with humble hearts. We serve you as king. Lord, as we bow to you and are obedient to you, I pray that your voice would speak to us clearly, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would empower me as I preach your word and that uh, you would empower each person here to hear it, to hide it in our hearts and know you more. In your name, amen. What would satisfy us I'm sorry, what would really satisfy us would be a God who said, of anything we happen to like doing, what does it matter so long as they are contented? We want, in fact, not so much a father in heaven as a grandfather in heaven, a senile benevolence who, as they say, like to see young people enjoying themselves and whose plan for the universe was simply that it might be truly said at the end of each day, a good time was had by all. This is a quote from, I'll let you guess. Hey, how'd you know? It's C.S. Lewis, yeah. And C.S. Lewis nails this one right on the head, right here. We have described God, taught about God, and seem to have wanted God as a grandpa instead of a father. Now, some of you listening are grandpas. Uh, I love grandpas. That's great. I love my grandpas. My dad is a grandpa to my kids. I may someday be a grandpa myself when I'm much, much older. (laughs) Grandpas are a blessing. They really are. But here's something about grandpas. They tend to be older. They also tend to not be the prime discipline giver in a child's life. Now, there are exceptions, of course. But generally, when we think about grandpas, we are thinking about Older, nice, chill, candy-giving folks, right? That's what we think about grandpas. My daughter, Corey, was young, probably a year, two years old. Um, we would sometimes go over to my parents' house. We, we, we used to do church at night back then. We went to another church that's up the road at the time called Crossroads. And after service, you know, we might go have dinner with them and order some pizza and whatever. And we'd come in, and my dad would have my daughter, like I say, probably a year old, sit on his lap, and he'd be feeding her pizza and Coke. I'd be like, what are you doing? He's like, don't worry about it. It's fine. She likes it. Really? 
yeah. She doesn't have teeth, but yeah, I know she likes it, right? Um, this is how grandpas are. That's how they are. It's a grandpa mentality. It's the fun of having the children around without the work of actually raising children and being the one who has to do the discipline and change the diapers and, you know, when they start crying, it's, hey, somebody else take that. But they, they really enjoy the kids, like them to have fun. And it, it's cool. Like, grandpas love it. Kids love it, right? Everybody seems to love it. Um, not always the parents. That's not always the greatest thing for the parents, but uh, everybody else seems to love it. But God is not our grandpa. It's not our grandpa. He's our father, and he's a good father. And it's a good thing, because if God was a grandpa, while it might be nice to think about heaven as sort of going to grandpa's house and getting candy and hugs for eternity, which is a relatively weak view of heaven, but I think one that some people have, um, you probably wouldn't want to call on grandpa when there's a street fight. When the real stuff comes, it's not grandpa necessarily that you go to. You go to your father, younger, stronger, ready to protect, ready to do those things. That's not necessarily a grandpa's job. That's a father's job. And so if God was to act like the description that C.S. Lewis gives in that quote, we're in big trouble, really big trouble. Thank God he does not. We do not need a senile, happy old dude in the sky. We need the Lord of hosts, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We need the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the defeater of the devil and death and sin. We need a strong father who punishes the wicked and gives grace to his children, those who call on his name. That's what we need. We've been in the Psalms. We went through Psalm 1. Um, a few messages if you, if you were here for that. Um, if you weren't, you can go back and watch that online. We're going to try to get through five. We're in Psalm 2, and we got through the first four verses last time. We're going to get through one today. Um, but last time we read these verses, and I, and I want us to think about these as we kind of start this. Psalm 2, 1 through 4, if you have your Bible, or it'll be on the screen here. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Now, we went through this in our, in our last study on the Psalms, and the idea is that the nations and the peoples and the kings and the rulers, they want to have things and do things their own way kind of like us. They want to break the law of God. That's what they want to do. Romans 8, 1, 28 through 32. This is what it says. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, or, or greed, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, Evil-mindedness, they're whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. They have convinced themselves that God will not be strong enough or will not have the resolve to punish them. They mistook God's patience and grace 
for weakness. And they no longer fear God. Now God's response first is to laugh at them and hold them in derision because their thoughts and their plans are foolish. That's the world we live in right now, today. That's where we are. That's us, but for the grace of God that he's given us. Let's study what God does next after he laughs at them and holds them in derision. This is the verse for today, Psalm 2.5. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Now, Lord willing, next week we will study what God says in his wrath to these nations, peoples, kings, and rulers. And how God will distress them in his deep displeasure because that's coming. Judgment is coming on the world. On the nations, on the people, on the kings, on the rulers. Do not assume as they do that God's grace and patience are weakness and lack of resolve. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This week, we're going to study what this verse says about who God is. That's our message, Lord willing, as we get through it here. We need, we need to stop talking about God in the way that we do. We need to stop talking about God as if his loving kindness is the only aspect of who he is. As if that is the full description of God. Now, it is true, and it is wonderful, and it is amazing, and it is awesome. His loving kindness, I live for it. No question. But that's not all God is. God is our Father, a good Father. And a good Father isn't like a grandfather. There's a different mission there. A good grandfather may give the kid pizza and candy and let the kid sit on his lap and drive the car when he's like five years old. personal stuff I'm working through. No. Because the goal of a grandfather is basically to see the kids have a good time. He trusts something. He trusts that the good father will provide discipline and instruction. He trusts that the good father will do those things that a father's to do, while a grandfather can do the things a grandfather does. And a good father wants his children to enjoy themselves, no question. He wants all the joy possible for his children, but not at the expense of them becoming bad men and women. All the joy possible, but not at the expense of their lives. A good father chastens. I don't know if you know what that word means, but basically means instructs, disciplines, right? Sometimes a chastening comes maybe with a paddle to the backside. That's, that's a chastening. Now let's look at Hebrew 12, Hebrews 12, 3 through 9. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, talking about Jesus, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? We are his children. Not his grandchildren. When we disobey, when we're not 
living the way that he's called us to live, we get chastened and scourged. That's what a good father does who loves his children. Now, I know many of us did not have good earthly fathers. In fact, there is no good father other than God. The rest of us can try to live up to that standard. But many fathers either haven't been there at all or have chastened in a way that really was just physical abuse or have failed to chasten at all and let their children become whatever they were going to become. No discipline at all. But God is a good father. God is a good father. He will teach us through pain. If we will not learn through gentle instruction. And in my experience, it's often pain that has to come. We who are children of God have all experienced chastening and being scourged from time to time. This is what happens, and when it happens, we learn and we grow. Chapter 11, or I'm sorry, verse 11 of that chapter that we just read in Hebrews. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We grow fruit through the chasing of the Lord. The Lord our God will chasten, will scourge, and through it, you will grow fruit. It's real. But here's a question I want us to think about, and we're just going to keep it in our minds as I kind of go through the rest. Here's a question. What if we have begun to believe the idea that's been put out there quite a lot, that God is like a grandpa? What happens to us if that happens? I just want you to think about that because I'm going to digress for a minute. Just hold on to that question. If you've been around Acts Church for long, you know we really try to speak the whole truth in teaching the Bible. Now, that means some of the things that we say in teaching don't make us happy. They don't make me happy because I'm calling myself to account first before calling anybody else. Instead, they, they tend to turn us towards confession and repentance and growth, which is difficult. But the God is a grandpa mindset, I, I think one of the ways it's come about in the Western world particularly, that's the only thing I can really speak to, is because the teaching of the church has been infected by the culture. Instead of relevance, which is a reasonable thing to want, it's reasonable to want it to bring the message of the gospel, the message of scripture, the message of Christ to people in a way that they can understand it. But there's a difference between relevance, which is more of an interpretive framework for us to understand things, and literally changing the message so it's more palatable. That's a totally different thing. And I think that started to happen because it's much easier to get up here and talk about how kind and loving and forgiving God is and ignore his wrath and his justice. Especially if you use the world's current definitions of those words, kind and loving and forgiving. Because the world has a different definition that they've come up with for those words. Let's start with kindness. I think kindness is too often confused for niceness. Niceness is more of a social convention. Some of you know that I lived in Tennessee for six years. When we lived in Tennessee, by the way, Jay Inman is here. For those of you that know him, he was playing the drums today. He came back. He was, uh, um, worked with us for about five weeks or so before I fired him. No, I'm kidding. He came as a, he was an intern. He was an intern um, a few years ago. Anyway, when I lived in Tennessee, it was brought to my attention that I was not good at making nice. I was regularly told, David, 
You're not very good at making nice, which, you know, kind of hurt my feelings. But making nice is this thing you do when you meet someone in the South, okay? And when I say meet someone, I mean anyone. Grocery store, you're walking down the street, church, prison, doesn't matter. You meet somebody, you make nice. You make nice, and it consists of saying things like, hey, how you doing? How's your mom and them? Now, that's one word in the South, okay? Your mom and them is one word. It's, it's, you spell it like your mom anthem, and you just say it all at once. So if you go there, this is important. You need to know this. How's your mom and them? All one word. If you don't say it to them, they're going to think you're rude, and they're going to call you a Yankee, and you don't want that because it's, it hurts your feelings, okay? So if you go to the South, that's how you have to be. That's making nice. The problem is as soon as that person is out of earshot, they say things not so nice. Like, can you believe he was wearing that shirt? Did you hear about him and -and so-and-so? So their niceness doesn't really have any loving content in it at all. It's a social convention. I'm not speaking for everyone in the South. Those of you watching online in the South, I don't care. You're not going to come here anyway. (laughs) I'm kidding. I love you. And you know it's true, so there you go. Um, There's not even any love in it. It's a social convention, niceness, being nice. It's like you want your grandpa to be. You want him to be nice. Just give me the five bucks on my birthday card and don't ask me what I did last night. Right? Come on, grandpa. Be nice. God's not nice in that way. That's not who God is. His kindness is affection and service, service unto death for you because he loves you so much. That's his kindness. That's his loving kindness. It's loving. It's not weak like niceness. Like the kind of kindness people talk about when they talk about this world. You're not being kind. What they mean is you're not being nice. Well, sometimes being kind is not being nice. Next word I used is loving. For the world, love means something more like niceness also. Although it's mixed with some sort of absolute acceptance. Niceness and absolute acceptance, that's what love has been defined as. If you disagree with someone's lifestyle, what they're doing with their life, say someone has a serious um, substance abuse problem or a serious sexual sin issue or a serious lying issue or they're a gossip or whatever, all the things that all of us have been. Love to the world says you don't say anything about it. You don't confront them on it. They're doing them. That's their truth, right? That's what love means to the world, but that's not love. Love is been co-opted particularly by, you know, we have a lot of sexual immoralities right now. Like they're just popping up every day, all kinds of different stuff. You know, they're, they're not limited to any particular thing or group. They just seem to pop up. In the, and the mantra that seems to pop up around most of those who say, uh, who want to justify and normalize all those things is something like love is love. Love is love. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. You know Why? Because in philosophy, we call that a tautology. It's like saying math is math, or pulpit is pulpit, or chair is chair, or haters gonna hate. Because they're haters, we know. That's the whole definition. Or the one I say all the time, it is what it is. Uh-huh, duh. Like, it is what it is. Like, okay, thanks, that's not saying anything. Love is love isn't saying anything. It's a tautology. It, it doesn't mean anything. It's just, you might as well just say the word love. It would mean the same thing. So what they're really trying to say is this kind of thing that I want to do, this kind of thing that I want to do is okay. It's love. 
The problem is it takes a lot more than a tautology to prove that that's true. When God has said, this is what I've called you to. And it's hard, as we read. You haven't even resisted to the shedding of blood. That means it's hard to push against sin sometimes. For every one of us, we're all broken in that way, and God is transforming us. And he's saying, listen, don't say love, that what you're doing is okay because you, you call it love. God defines what love is. I'm not interested in studying all the issues of sin that, we, that we've all been in and that Lord willing and by the grace of God we've been being pulled out of and transformed from. But we need to be clear what we mean when we say God is love. When we talk about the love of God, we need to be very clear in what we mean. God's love is not acceptance of anything we want to do. That's not what it is. God's love does not mean he justifies our gossip or our lying or our pride. That's not what love, well, if you love me, you would accept me for who I am. Nonsense. Who loves you that accepts you for who you are? Everyone who loves you is trying to see you be the best person that God has made you to be. Not stay who you are. That's not what love looks like. That's what niceness looks like. Nonsense. God's love is challenging. God's love is demanding. God's love is exacting. The kind of love that you would have for a child or a family member or a husband or a wife. You're not saying, whatever you want to do. You're like, no, stop doing that. Start doing this. Take out the trash. You're lazy. I tell Tiffany all the time. It's just, that's what she says to me. She says it to me. Because she loves me, honestly. She challenges me all the time. I've ne- There's no one who's challenged me more in my life. I mean, other than the Lord, but than my wife. And no one loves me more than her, for whatever strange reason, right? We're being transformed. Love is a transforming power. Love is something that transforms the beloved. 2 Corinthians 3.18 Listen to this. He's going to tell us how he's transforming us into his image. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Have you ever transformed a Coke can? Anybody? Transform one? You know, squeezing it, showing how strong you are. Guys are like, no, I've never done that. I don't act like that. I'm way more evolved. Okay, if you are a girlfriend or a wife and your husband's sitting next to you, just grab, just grab him by the upper arm like this. Just do it right now. What you're going to notice is that every one of them is going to flex. <laughs> That's what they do. Don't try to play like you didn't ever smash the Coke can <laughs> with me. I know how this works, all right? Goodness gracious. Anyway, if you've ever transformed a pile of wood into a house, some of you probably have done that. Maybe you've made, taken clay and beaten it and done the whole thing and made a pot or whatever or something to smoke pot. I don't know what you guys are. I didn't say that one in the first service, but you guys look a little sketchier. I do not. That's not good, okay? In every case... Did you bleep that back there on the YouTube? All right. That's, that's just for the people here. In, in every case, a thing being transformed is stretched and broken or nailed together. Things are added. Things are taken away. That's what transformation looks like. It goes from its original shape to something new, 
that the person transforming wanted the, the thing being transformed to be. It's not an easy process. It's not a painless process. It hurts and offends and bruises and it tears and it challenges. And in the end, a thing transformed is very different. That's what God is like. Not just handing you candy. He is transforming you into his image. Now, I know enough about who I am to know something very clear here. If God's work in my life is taking me from who I am and transforming me into his image, that's going to be a painful process. That's going to be a long process. It's a long way to go for me. You guys, not so much. You look great. But for me, it's a long process if he's transforming into his image. And I've experienced the pain. See, he's already started, believe it or not, he's already started that process. I've actually been in there for a while, which tells you where I was. But it's painful. It hurts. It bruises. It offends. It pulls me from, no, I want to do this, and I think this, and I, nope. And he's transforming me. And it's glorious. But it's going to hurt, and it's going to take a lifetime. God's love is not acceptance of my nonsense and my sin. And it's not acceptance of yours either. God's love is powerful and beautiful and holy and pure. It's full of life. And he will make his children, who he has called by name, holy and perfect in his image through transformation. That's what it looks like. We have a lot of ideas about what it should, things should be like and what life should be like and who's right and who's wrong and whatever. And our society's like, blah, 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 blah. There's only one person who sets that standard and then transforms us to it. And that's the loving father that we have, God. That's what love is. So don't tell God that if he loves you, he'll accept your sin. Because that's ridiculous. Tell him you're willing to make your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him, and that you're willing to allow him, no matter what you want, no matter how strong your desires are, no matter how much you've decided that your life should look like this, say, no, no, my life is a sacrifice to you. Transform me. Because that's where the fruit comes. The fruit under righteousness. Becoming that man or that woman that God actually made you to be before we experience the fallenness of this world. And he's transforming you out of it. Last word that I used in that uh, sentence was forgiving. Forgiving. There are two ways the world misuses this word. First way is pretty easy. The world doesn't think they need forgiveness. Forgiveness is an enemy. It means I have to admit I've done something wrong. They don't think they need it. The world thinks they're okay. Remember the verses, this is verse three from the chapter we're reading in Psalm, Psalm two, Psalm two, three. Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. This is the nations and the people and the rulers and the kings saying, I don't want to be limited by what you say life is supposed to be like, by what you say about who I am and who you are. I want to do my own thing. I don't need you. That's what they say. They don't want to be accountable to God. They don't want to have to bow their knee to the king of kings. 
And so they convince themselves they're okay. They don't understand that he loves them. That he made them and he will make them new in him. They just want to go their own way. And because of that, they convince themselves they don't need forgiveness. Or best case scenario that I've seen, they say something like, I only need to forgive myself. Now, well, that sounds very modern. If someone spits in my face and I say, would you please apologize? And they say, I've already forgiven myself. (laughs) It's not going to do much for me, right? It's a little nonsensical. Of course, we do that to God. And that's that's what the world does to God. I've forgiven myself. You didn't sin against yourself. All sin is sin against God. He's the one who has to forgive you. You can't forgive yourself for that which only God can forgive. Number two, they see forgiveness as cheap grace. Cheap grace. Romans 6, uh, verses 1 through 2, gives us these questions. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live in it any longer? You want a power-packed week? Just study Romans 6, 7, and 8. You have a good week. We have preached and taught the wonderful and glorious grace of God. I'm talking about as a church, as Christ's church. I think we have done actually a phenomenally good job of teaching about the wonderful and glorious grace of God. And we should always preach it. We should preach it from the mountaintops. We should proclaim it to everyone. It is good news, better news than any news there has ever been. God will forgive you for anything, for everything that you've done and make you new and clean in him. It's great news. There's nothing that can separate you when you're in Christ from the love of God. Nothing. The gospel message is peace to those who call on his name and confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. But when we were in Christ, we're dead to sin and alive to God and his transforming power. We ought not to sin. Grace and forgiveness are a free gift. 1 John 1, 9. We read it regularly. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of it. The gift of grace and forgiveness are free for you today. But that gift was not cheap. It's free to you, but it was not cheap. The free gift of grace is there because of God's sacrifice for you because he loves you. It cost him. John 3, 16, you probably know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God gave his only begotten son for you to be tortured, to be killed for you because he loves you. 1 Corinthians six twenty. For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Forgiveness is free for you, but it is not cheap. Grace was not cheap for God. We must not look at sin as if it's no big deal. We must not do that. Something that we'll just deal with when we have time. 
We must not mistake God's free gift of grace with a cheap gift of grace. Because then we, cheat, we treat God like he's cheap. And like he's weak. And he's not. You're incredibly valuable because he's strong. You're incredibly valuable. Everyone here, God loves you so much that he died. He died for you. Everyone who's listening to, to me right now, you're either sons and daughters of God who have chosen to follow Christ or you're people who are hearing the gospel right now that there is a free gift of grace for you and that God loves you and he's drawing you to turn to him. It's not an accident that you're either here in this room or watching online or listening to it later or whatever. It's not an accident. God loves you. This is a message for the whole world that God will forgive you and cleanse you and make you his sons and daughters. He's not a grandpa. He's a kind, loving, forgiving, and good father. Those of us who have experienced his chastening and his scourging, we might ask ourselves, Think sometimes maybe we do. Why does God care so much? After all, transformation hurts. Can't he just care a little bit less and make it hurt a little less? Why does he care so much? This is important. If you hear nothing else, they hear this. He cares because you are his. You're his. Last week when Pastor Daniel was preaching, I was watching online. And he said, let's take a minute and just listen to God. And as I did that, that's what I heard from God. You are mine. And I cannot tell you how much peace and joy and the power of the Holy Spirit comes in me knowing I am his. Me, the worst of sinners, I am his. So wonderful, so marvelous to know that. To know that I am his is everything to me. There's a song, an old song that says, how marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. If only that was the song of our heart as we walked through our day. I don't know that there would be anything that would ever cause us fear or doubt or consternation if we just could bask in the love that the Father has for us and everything that that love means. We love God because as the scripture tells us, he loved us first. Listen to, to Isaiah 43.1. This is so beautiful. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, speaking to Israel here, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. In the Romans 8, 8 15, we, we hear this. For you did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. By whom we cry out, Abba, Father. This word spoken to the Israelites is a word for us too because we have been adopted, grafted in. We are his people. And he says to you, you are mine. I've redeemed you. We need to understand how beautiful that is. We need to understand that the world does have to fear God because judgment is coming on the world. I'm not gonna sugarcoat that for us. It's a fact. Judgment is coming on the world. We who are in Christ are not of this world. Our kingdom is God's kingdom. 
Jesus answered, this is John 18, 36. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. We who are gods are not of this world. We don't want to be associated with this world or its philosophies or its rebellion. You need to understand this because we like to play very close to the world. If you had a buddy, and here's what you knew. God told you really clearly, he said, your buddy sometime today is going to get straight up struck by lightning. How close would you stand to him during the day? Probably not very. You ain't going to be hugging up on somebody who's about to get hit by lightning, right? In the same way, we know judgment is coming on the world. So we need to be very careful about how close we allow ourselves to be associated with the things of the world. Now hear me clearly. I'm not talking about we all go out and become hermits. You should be in the world. In the world, ministering, caring for, helping, praying for. Mourning with those who mourn, rejoicing with those who rejoice, bringing people into the kingdom. All of that. In the world, but not of the world. There is a difference Too often we try to play both sides. We want what we think the world gives us. Meanwhile, we want what God gives us. And that works fine with Grandpa God, who doesn't care what you do. You come into church on Sunday, you sing a couple songs, it makes you feel good. The rest of the week, it's all world. The problem is you're messing around with things that are made for judgment. But you, if you're a child of God, are not made for judgment. You've been redeemed. You're his. You ought not to act like them. They're lost. They're going to act like they're lost. All of us once were lost before we were found by him. Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We need to understand God as he is. Not as we want to make him, not as the easy way to describe him, but as he is the consuming fire. He is truly kind. He is truly loving. He is truly forgiving. In those words, in their real definitions, he's forgiving the way God is forgiving, not the way we want it to be, where either we don't need it or it's something cheap. He's forgiving in that he was willing to go all the way. His only begotten son who died for us. And the scripture is clear about a couple of things. It's clear that not only should we love God, but we should also fear him. People don't like to say that. We're to fear God, to hold him in reverence and in awe because he is awesome. Now, those of us, as I said, there is no good earthly father. We do our best. Some don't do their best. But for most of us who had a dad around, there was some fear. We knew that our dad didn't, didn't want us to do certain things, and we knew that if we did those certain things, there was something to be afraid of. Now, God is good. So the only things you need to be afraid of are those things which he's told you not to do, and all of those things are things that he knows are what's best for you. But you should expect the chastening to come. You should fear God. We can no longer proclaim a grandfather like God. 
We just can't do it anymore. A, it's not true. And B, it causes real problems. Remember earlier I said, here's a question, I want you to think about it. This is the question I asked. But what if we have begun to believe the idea that God is a grandpa? Let me tell you what will happen if you buy into that mindset that seems to be really prevalent out there. Let me tell you what it's gonna look like for you. First, we will see God as weak. Like I said, you don't call grandpa up for the street fight. We'll see him as weak. We'll see God's accountability and his chastening in our lives as a bad thing. Now, that seems strange, but think about this. If you're a believer and you've been convinced that coming to know Jesus meant that you were getting the grandpa God, then your mindset is, what, I get, what God gives me is candy and pizza and Coke and whatever. That's the mindset that you have. So when chastening comes, which is painful, you're not gonna see it as the loving discipline of God. You're gonna see it as something he's not protecting you from because everything's supposed to be all good. So those things that actually build you, you're gonna see them as enemies. That doesn't work. You have to, if you don't recognize the chastening of God, let me tell you what happens because I have lots of experience with this. It goes on longer and gets more painful. But if you're thinking, that's not God, God only gives me candy, you're never going to understand what it looks like to be transformed. You'll think his chastening in your life is a bad thing. We will not know the awesome power of the Holy Spirit because we won't look to the Holy Spirit to overcome that which is there because we see God as just somebody who gives us kind of like a genie that we rub the lamp and gives us what we want. Grandpa God. We'll constantly be wondering why we don't have the pizza and the Coke and the candy life instead of the painful transforming life. We will misunderstand God's judgment. Mistake it for weakness. Mistake his grace and his patience for weakness, which is what the world does. And then we won't be careful in our thought life. We won't be careful in our life. We won't take sin seriously. We will not work hard to know Jesus and love Jesus and grow in Jesus if everything is just supposed to be easy. Because if you're just thinking, hey, he's just the grandpa who's gonna give me that five bucks in the birthday card and keep his nose out of the shady things I do, you're gonna have a really weak relationship with God. We won't be a powerful force for the truth of the gospel. You know what we'll be in the end? We'll be nice. It'd be nice. Let me tell you something. I don't want to be nice. I don't want to be nice. I want to speak the truth. I want to be transformed. I want the beautiful pain of transformation because I know what it brings. I exhort you, Christ follower, to want the same thing. Desire the pain that brings life. Understand who God is in his fullness. Mercy and justice. He's all of it. If you're not a Christ follower, I exhort you, repent. Be reconciled to God today. His arms are open. There is no doubt. There's nothing you have done. There's nothing you have done that he cannot forgive, that he will not forgive. 
There's nothing you have done that will keep him from transforming you and making you new. If you will repent, if you will call him Lord, if you will say Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Right now, today, God is not a grandpa. God is our father. You will never know true love or true peace or true hope or true faith or true joy without God being our good father. Without him, we get none of that. It's all just a weak representation. You want to live a full, exciting, adventurous life, then you live with the true God, not the God as grandpa. Let's all worship and serve him for the marvelous, awesome God that he is. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts the truth of your word, Lord, that you would draw us from our, our brokenness, our desire to break the chains and do all that stuff because we still too struggle with our fallen bodies. And we pray that the power of your spirit would give us power over all of that. God, we love you because you love us. God, I pray you would draw us all closer to you. Lord, this week, give us just that powerful knowledge that we are yours. And if there are those here today who aren't yours, I pray that today they would become yours. God, do what we're here for. Bring people into your kingdom that we might see them transformed. Continue to transform us and bring new disciples, Lord. They want to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and be taught to obey all that you have commanded because all of it is good. You are good. God, let us speak the truth and proclaim it all of who you are. Loving, merciful, gracious, patient, kind, but just and holy and perfect the Lord of hosts, the King of kings. God, we love you. Be with us this week. Be for the, with those who can't be here to join with us together. Thank you for those of us who can. Protect us spiritually. Protect us physically as we go out into the world with the full armor of God, a shield wall, marching against the gates of hell to rescue those who are there in your love. In your name, amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope the Lord blessed you through it. We'd like to invite you to join us on one of our Sunday morning services at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Whether you would just like to find out some more info about Acts Church or if you'd like to plug in and take some next steps in your faith, AxeChurchNW.org is a great place to start. You can also email us at info at AxeChurchNW.org. There's always more content coming, whether it's on YouTube or on our podcast channel. So be sure to subscribe to both of those to always get the newest content from Max Church. Until next time, we hope you have a blessed week.